What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast as we kick off another week as we sit here right now just just clinging to July as we get set to uh, to flip the calendar into August, summer holiday for your kitties, everything half over. You can almost see it start to ramp downhill from here. Cooler nights, sun going down earlier. Uh, bit of a bummer, I guess. I, I, I don't know why I started down this road. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now, whether you be on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Pods, Spotify, uh, go ahead and give us a follow and uh, make sure you're following along on social media at Tall Can Audio on, on X and, uh, and, and Threads and Blue Sky. Look at all these new fucking names. Uh, Instagram, we're still kicking around on Instagram. Uh, give us a follow. We love to hear what you guys think about uh, everything we have to say here on the show. It is just me here today. Uh, that will not become a habit as we move through the summer. Uh, things will actually start to sound a little more normal here again over the next couple of weeks. Uh, that starts with a Tuesday morning edition of the podcast featuring our buddy Steve Bunda. We had a killer night of fights at UFC 291. We'll talk about that with him as well as anything else that's in the news at that point. We'll probably look back on this week in the CFL at that point. Um Back kicking off next week is our buddy Rob. He'll be back in studio with me at that point. Uh, it's been a strange couple of weeks, right? Uh, me away on vacation, a lot of your regular guests and co-hosts away as well. So we've done some things here. We hope to start to get back to normal a little bit, but it is still summer. So things will be a little bit off kilter as we continue. We're glad you're sticking with us here. And we will have some interesting guests coming in the couple of weeks. Actually, uh, I can't tell you exactly when it's going to drop yet, but a uh, friend of the show, Dean Brown, is going to be back on here, the voice of the Ottawa Senators. It's become a little bit of a habit now for uh, for Dino to drop by sometime in the midsummer and just kind of recap the season that was, look ahead to what you can expect from the Sens next season, and just kind of shoot the shit on the uh, sports broadcasting industry, whatever else is going on at that point. Uh, Dean Brown's done that for the last couple of years here. Like I said, kind of a midsummer visit and check-in, so he's going to do that as well, so stay tuned for that. We'll have some other guests for you as well, and like I said, we'll, we'll get Rob back in here uh, for the first time in, in a few weeks. So look for that all coming up on the Tall Can Audio podcast. But as I said, for today, just me here, and this will be a quick one. We're not going to drag this out too long, just a few things to uh, to touch on. As we sit here right now, as I record this anyway, the Toronto Blue Jays have just lost their final game against the Los Angeles Angels here this weekend in extra innings, but that will not be the big story of the day. The Toronto Blue Jays have never had a pitcher throw a single pitch at 102 miles per hour or higher. That will not be true for a whole lot longer. We'll get into that in just a little bit. I also want to talk about the uh, Senators signing up Vladimir Tarasenko to a one-year $5 million contract. We'll get into that in just a minute. And uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have put Matt Murray on LTIR in the middle of the summer. Uh, you won't be seeing him for quite a while. That has obviously major salary cap implications for both the Leafs and, believe it or not, still the Ottawa Senators. All of that we can talk about here in just a second, but I want to start with the beer because that's what we do. We always start with the beer. Most important things first. Uh, you've heard me reference a few different times on this podcast, the Old Dog Brewing Company down in Bob Cajun near the family cottage. Uh, went and checked that out once again last week and sat in there for uh, for an hour or so with, with my old man. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when I have a co-host back in here, but tried a few different things and I should give them a thumbs up because one of the critiques, I wouldn't say criticisms, it's, it's been fair. I'm not complaining. It's just, it's a critique. 
I thought they could turn the volume up on some of their flavors a little bit, right? Some of it was coming off a little bit plain. And so I was on their website. I saw they had a couple of new things out and I thought, let's give them another chance. Let's go check it out again. And I would not accuse them on any of these new beers that they have put out here in the last little while of being plain. There is some flavor in there. They have turned up the volume as I've requested on the podcast a few different times. I assume that's just listening to me, right? That's how most of these people run businesses, just listening to the Talking Audio podcast and making all their decisions based on that. Uh, regardless of why they made the decision, it is a positive development. This one is their cherry sour. Uh, and it's funny here. I look at the can. I don't know if this is like a naming scheme that they will always use, or if it's specific to this beer, uh, I'll have to kind of check around on some of the other cans. I didn't think to look, but like I said, it's the old dog brewing company and all of their, uh, beers sort of keep to that naming scheme. There's the yellow lab, which is, you know, kind of their summer lager, they have their British Bulldog, they have their Honey Hound, right? Like it, it's all sort of keeping to that naming scheme. And uh, on the can here, it says New Pup. And so I know that's not the name of the beer. I don't know if they print New Pup on all the things they're just testing out, right? That's fresh out and it, maybe it's just out for a limited run to see what people think. But that, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like it when these people lean into their theme and stuff. So that's cool enough. But like I said, this is a cherry sour. You guys know me. I'm not huge into sours, but it was a nice summer afternoon. So I thought I'd give this a shot. And it does, it, they've turned up the volume a little bit as I've requested. It is a cherry sour. So you're getting plenty of cherry there. It's not super tart, which I like, but I know a lot of people in their sours like an overly tart, kind of a fucking face puckering deal there. I'm not big into that. And so this is hitting me sort of about right for a sour. But if you like those ones that are really tart, this might not be for you, but it's a really nice beer. And uh, like I said, thumbs up to them for not being afraid to experiment a little bit, right? Getting a little out there with the flavors and, and really just kind of leaning into what you're, uh, what you're bringing to the table. So that's the, uh, the cherry sour from the old dog brewing company in, uh, in Bob Cage. And when we get back into the city here, which like I said, is going to happen in the next few days, we'll get back to some more local beers to Ottawa, uh, feeling a little guilty, right? Like I'm cheating on some of my favorite breweries. Uh, we'll get back into that here in the coming weeks. Uh, let's get into it. The Ottawa Senators signed Vladimir Tarasenko to a one-year $5 million contract. That number might sound familiar to some of you as a brilliant, handsome young podcaster. Threw it out there not too long ago. Uh, Rob and I talked about whether or not the Senators should be interested in Vladimir Tarasenko and at what number. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago when rumors initially were running hot that he would be signing in Ottawa. Here's what that sounded like. I'm thinking three years on Tarasenko, I would I would do. I wouldn't do it, man. See, I, I just look at that. What do you do in AAV, though? What are you thinking on an AAV? Three I'd, years. Give me three years. I don't want to give him three years. I, I know, but I'm telling you, he's not signing anywhere for... $3 million for three years. Wow. Three times three. Seriously? Yep. I don't want him long term. Do, do you want him? Not really. Okay. But for a year in Ottawa, I would do a year at $5 million, maybe. Oh, my God. Oh, to be, to be, to be this right, it's just, it's just painful sometimes. It's a hell of a burden I carry for you guys. So it is a one-year deal at $5 million. Uh, interesting that Andy Strickland, who covers the Blues right up close, uh, he reported that Tarasenko had a couple of other offers, including earlier in the offseason, a four-year, $5.5 million deal 
obviously, Tarasenko did not take that. Uh, there was also talk that the Sharks had offered him one year at $6 million and that the Hurricanes were at one year $5.25 million before he chose Ottawa one year at $5 million. Also worth circling back to the fact that he recently fired his agent uh, a week or so into free agency, and that is not something you see very often. Uh, We still didn't get a ton of details on why that is. Obviously, not hard to imagine that uh, Vlad was not impressed with the work that his agent was doing, some of the deals he was bringing back to him. And I don't know who's to blame now. That that even if we're just talking about Ottawa, you had four years at 5.5 on the table and you end up with one year at five. I don't know about that. Um, I guess it depends on your perspective. I assume this is a disaster. Not that he's ended up in Ottawa, but that he's ended up here with so little commitment. It is possible, though, to be fair that he wants to test free agency again next year, knowing that this didn't go the way that he had hoped it was going to go. And so next year, the cap goes up. Maybe there's other teams willing to give him a little more money than he was offered this year. But I would be shocked if next year, another $20 million deal is on the table for a guy who will be 33 by then. So, I don't think this was the plan. I don't think this was Vlad's choice or plan all along to just get one year and go back at it. Uh, I think this got bungled somewhere. It would be easy enough to imagine that it was the agent's fault, and that's why Vlad fired him. Also possible that Vlad thought more was out there. The agent was telling him there isn't, and so Vlad fires him in frustration only to learn that, yeah, no, there isn't still any more out there. So... We'll never know exactly what went on between the agent, but it's been a strange road to get here. But we are here, and Vladimir Tarasenko is now a member of the Ottawa Senators. And Graham Nichols has a great piece up on his substack called Roman a Day. We'll link to that in the show notes. You should give it a follow. You should give it a subscribe. Uh, always really good insight on the Senators. And he talks quite a bit about the fit and the risk and whether or not this is going to pan out, the upside, the potential downsides. And one of the interesting things that we talked about with Rob a couple of weeks ago came up in Graham's work as well, which is it's an odd fit. Tarasenko's a left-shot guy who prefers to play his offside, which leaves him on the right wing. Well, right now you got Claude Giroux on the right wing and Drake Batherson on the right wing, and I don't think Vlad Tarasenko is better than either one of them at this point. Uh, it's possible Um, last year he put up about 50 points, you know, not bad, but I'm counting on Drake Batherson bouncing back bigger than that. Obviously Claude Giroux will be better than that. And so is Tarasenko going to play on third line with Shane Pinto, who is also a complication now that you've, you've pushed up this close to the cap, they're going to have to deal somebody away to make, uh, the new Pinto contract fit. Or is he going to be willing to move over to the left side and and maybe then play on a second line with Josh Norris and Drake Batherson and, and have a look at something like that, which would be interesting. That wouldn't be a bad top six, but that's never really appeared to be Tarasenko's preference, right, to want to do that. So I'm not really sure what the exact fit is here. And another concern that Graham points out in his piece on the Roman a Day substack is that the one of the key things you'd like to see Tarasenko contributing to 
is your power play. But he plays the same spot that Tim Stutzla plays, and you're not going to be removing Tim Stutzla from that spot at this point. This is very similar to the problem they had with Debrinkit, who also liked to play where Stutzla played on the power play. And so guess what? You're going down to the second unit. And so it's not the end of the world if you have Vlad Tarasenko on your second power play, but you're not necessarily maximizing his potential contributions at that point, right? He's playing with a secondary uh, group that maybe won't have the same punch as that top group. So I don't know, $5 million for all of that. Uh, Also some glaring defensive weaknesses. Tarasenko's lines get eaten alive defensively. And so now is his decreasing offensive ability and an ever worsening defensive ability starting to make this, you know, an untenable situation. I don't know. There's every possibility that Tarasenko comes in here, puts up 65, 70 points and is a, you know, big contributor to a Sens team that takes a step forward. Or even if it doesn't, you know, maybe Tarasenko becomes valuable at the deadline again. You can recoup some assets. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. There's a lot of risk here, but there's a lot of reward here. Um, But as I said in that clip off the top, I wouldn't have been interested in committing to this guy long term at all. Three, four years, like we're hearing, was offered. Um, No shot. Would I have done that? And it's frightening, frankly, that Pierre offered that earlier in the summer, if you believe Andy Strickland. But at one year, $5 million, I think this is a worthwhile gamble, as I said in that clip that you heard a few minutes ago. I think it can work. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to fit. Rob mentioned in that earlier episode that maybe it's Batherson who drops down to the third line and plays like Pinto. I don't like that very much, but if that's what it takes to make all of this work, then, you know, I guess you give it a look, but you know, it's an interesting signing. It's not without risks. It absolutely has some potential rewards and it absolutely fits into Pierre Dorian's love of chasing the big name, which he's done a hundred times before, whether it was the right time or the right move or not. Uh, I want to transition into talking a little bit about Matt Murray being put on LTIR by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this has, I don't know, a little bit of a sense angle to it that maybe we should start with. And that, of course, is that the 25% of Matt Murray's contract that the Senators are still carrying, that they retained to make that deal last summer, is not going on LTIR. That will still count against Ottawa's cap. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Ottawa's for the first time in a long time, pretty close to the salary cap. They they could use that space right now. This is one of those things that happens with cap retention. It doesn't matter what happens to that guy down the road. His space is dead on your cap. Nothing changes. You're stuck with it no matter what else happens down the road. So the fact that the Leafs are putting Matt Murray on LTIR to get some cap relief does not provide Ottawa with that same relief. And some Sens fans this week were pretty upset about it. I thought Ian Mendez had a pretty level-headed take on it, as he often does uh, when he wrote in The Athletic about this situation, that, yeah, it's annoying for Sens fans, but this cap stuff, this cap circumvention that half the league is taking part in right now, more than half the league is taking part in right now, is only bullshit when it's someone else when it's a team you don't like, when it's someone else's team, and it's just good business when it's your team. And it doesn't take very long to go back to see how many times Ottawa circumvented the cap on the other end, right? By making sure they had enough shit contracts, dead contracts on the books to get to the floor. 
And at that time, Ottawa fans had no real issue with it. And now they're getting burned on the other side. And so, of course, it's it's irritating. Look, until they close this loophole and fix up these rules all over the place, this kind of stuff is going to continue to happen. And, you know, it's going to be irritating when it's someone else and it's going to be great when it's you. And so for me, as a Leaf fan, this was great. I talked on Twitter a few different times and on the podcast about the idea of doing this to Matt Murray. And I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And I've already been roasted a little bit online about it this week and people throwing my own tweets back at me like maybe I don't remember what I said. And my point earlier in the offseason was that you couldn't count on this happening. This was a possibility with Matt Murray, but you couldn't bank on it. You couldn't say for sure this is what Toronto is going to do. Ah, just throw him on LTIR, your cap's fine. The player, to a certain degree, has to agree to it. We saw Matt Murray dress as the backup for Joseph Wall in the second round against the Florida Panthers. And so the immediate response to from a lot of people online was, well, if he was healthy enough then, how can he be hurt now? And it's honestly, it's not a stupid question. It's only stupid when it's thrown around with the snark that Twitter is now known for, that, that X is now known for, right? Fuck off, I'm not doing that. It's, uh, it's, it's Twitter. It's always going to be Twitter. Um... It comes with a lot of snark, right? He was fine, which we all know is the official voice of the replies of Twitter. Uh, And now he's not fine. Well, a lot of guys play through a lot of shit in the playoffs that they shouldn't or that, you know, in other times they wouldn't. And maybe that's the argument you'd use here. You don't have to go back very far, right? Carey Price played all the way into a Stanley Cup final and then could not go anymore. Shea Weber played 25 minutes a night all the way through those same playoffs and then could not do it anymore. I don't know if that's where Matt Murray is. What's interesting here is the money for him. If the Leafs had said to Matt Murray, you got two choices here. We're going to buy you out, and then you need to find somebody to pay you $2.7 million this year to make you whole, right? To make what you would make from us on LTIR, You'll need another team to sign you as a free agent for more than $2.7 million. Maybe that team is out there, but I don't see it. I don't see anybody who's looking to take a step forward, who's willing to take a $2.7 million bet on Matt Murray. I don't really see anybody so desperate to get to the floor that Matt Murray is going to be their guy. So that would be a hell of a gamble for Matt Murray to take. Or... We'll pay you your full amount to sit on LTIR, have access to all of Toronto's medical staff, all of Toronto's training staff to see if he can get right, to see if he can get healthy. And then when the contract expires at the end of next year, he can go having made all his money and see if anyone wants to take a shot at him then. And one of the reasonable responses you hear to that is, well, the player, you know, does he just want to make money or does he want to play hockey? It might be both. It almost certainly is. Like, it's one thing for us to say, how about you just agree to go on LTIR so there's no cap hit. You take your money and we'll use your cap space and everybody will be happy. That guy probably wants to play. But if he's still not quite right, if he's not sure what's out there, and if he thinks that collecting every dime from Toronto is a good idea right now because there might not be another contract for him. He'd be better off to just take all his money because this is all he's ever going to make. 
You know, that would weigh on you. And if he believes that a year in the Toronto system, working with the staff there and the doctors there and everything might give him one more crack at another contract in a year, you know, maybe that would weigh on you. Maybe that would be something you have to consider. And clearly it's something that he did consider because you can't just put a player on LTIR who doesn't want to go, who says, no, I'm fucking ready to go. I'll see you at training camp. You solve your cap problems somewhere else. He had every right to say that and he didn't. So whether or not it was the playoff thing where, yeah, we're in the second round of the playoffs. If they need me, I'll go because that's what hockey players do, you know, or whether or not it was just, yeah, there's something still kind of nagging me here during the summer and we'll kind of wink, nod. I could probably play, but I'm not gonna, we'll just go on LTIR and see if we can get this fixed and I'll take another shot at it in a year. Something happened there and I get why other fans are pissed, right? The Leafs were supposed to be screwed and they're not screwed now. As so often happens, you find a way to wriggle out of it. But Matt Murray at this point, and it's a shitty way to talk about a person, but let's call it the Matt Murray contract, is maybe the worst thing Kyle Dubas ever did. I don't understand what he was thinking a year ago. He's gone now. That contract is still here. And it's like that fart somebody cuts in the middle of a party just before they walk out. That's what Kyle Dubas left us with as he uh, dropped that Matt Murray bomb and then walked out of the party. So I think the LTIR thing made the most sense to both parties. The Leafs didn't want dead space by buying him out. And Matt Murray was probably a little scared that maybe he wasn't going to get what he needed to get on the open market. Let's just stay together. We'll LTIR this. We'll get you healthy. And you can try something else a little later. And we'll use that cap space right now, which they desperately needed, right? They were already well over the cap. Now you start looking at this plus the Muzzin contract. Things make a lot more sense because that Muzzin deal is obviously going to go on LTIR as well. And suddenly your cap problems, while not completely solved, are much, much closer to being solved. Anyway, let's move on to your uh, Toronto Blue Jays, who, as I said off the top, take two or three from the Angels. And this was an interesting series coming into it, right? The Angels had sort of been on the outs. Everyone thought they might be selling. Are they going to get rid of Otani? And instead of selling, they buy. And they go out, they bring in some help in both the rotation and in the bullpen. And you're sort of like, okay, like this, this could get interesting. At the time, I think the Angels were only two and a half or three games behind the Blue Jays to start the series. So this was going to matter, right? If the Angels all of a sudden take the series from Toronto, they're right in it. And uh, they have a shot at maybe jumping up and biting you on the ass. The Jays take the first two. And they were honestly in a pretty good spot to take the third. It was a tight game all the way through, um, goes to extra innings. And it had crossed my mind at that point that the Blue Jays could have contributed to one of the stranger weeks an MLB franchise had ever experienced. They could have gone from perceived seller to buyer and right back to seller all within a week. Had the Jays swept them away and totally knocked them out of the race again, all of a sudden, maybe Otani is back on the table. Maybe they're looking to sell off pieces, even though they had just brought in two guys. Uh, alas, that does not happen. The Anaheim Angels are going to hang around. Uh, they grab that game on Sunday. And look, I, I don't know. Maybe down the road, we can talk a little bit about the Matt Chapman thing on Friday night. The most interesting part of that, and if you missed it, uh, the Jays decide to pitch to Otani on Friday night in the first inning. Uh, with Gosman on the mound, and Otani hits it out. And there's an argument, a very public one, that Apple TV picks up on 
between Matt Chapman and uh, manager John Schneider. And of course, the quote, you've all probably seen it by now, is essentially, I don't have it word for word in front of me, but why are we pitching to this guy? He's the only guy on the entire fucking team that can hit. And he had hit just hit one out. And so you're sort of like, it's a fair enough point, but I'm kind of sick of the whole organization operating on how Matt Chapman's mood is that day. And we're seeing more and more of that, to be honest with you. Uh, there are a few hard asses now in the lineup that we've sort of traded away our fun vibes for these red asses now. And Matt Chapman, look, it's the heat of the moment. He's allowed to have an opinion. But what was interesting to me was this was an Apple TV game. And I wondered out loud on Twitter, no, on X, that that maybe this wouldn't have been covered had it been an in-house broadcast. Your usual Rogers Sportsnet team, you know, would they have focused on it? Would they have shown the replay of that argument? And would Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez have dived into it? when the network that the game was on is the same company that owns the team. We'll never get a true answer to that, but I thought it was interesting that this happened to fall during an Apple game where they're calling the shots and Rogers is not. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say on the actual controversy about it. Now, it was interesting. They started walking Otani pretty frequently throughout the rest of the series, um, John Schneider sort of shrugged it off after the Saturday game saying, yeah, you know, you live and learn. I'm glad I listened to our third baseman. I don't know how much he believes that, or if that's just a playful way of defusing any controversy and, and allowing this story to die, which it does appear like it's going to now. Uh, I don't know. You've got your best pitcher, a guy who is in the Cy Young running out there with nobody on in the first inning. I might, I'm going to let him pitch to Otani. Fuck it. Right? Like, let your guys out there. Trust your your best players. Uh, Matt Chapman thought uh, that was a stupid idea. And in Matt Chapman's defense, Otani golfed it out of the dome. So, <laughs> you know, maybe he was right too. It's not so much about who was right and wrong as much as it's a pretty public way of, of going about that. Right? That could have been said after the game uh, in the privacy of your own clubhouse. It's probably not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. But I'm just sort of... I'll be honest with you guys, I'm sort of fine if Matt Chapman leaves at the end of the season. It's a, I don't know, it would be a big piece that you would have to replace. Uh, It does look like there's some guys in your system that might be just about ready to step in there and do it. But, um, you know, there's more to it than just his mood that you have to accommodate for when you're planning and whether you want to try and lock him up. He's an older guy as well. He's been kind of streaky at the plate this year. His elite glove has sort of come back to just being an an above average glove, which is fine, but I'm kind of sick of the story of the Blue Jays so often being tied to Matt Chapman at this point. And so if he were to walk at the end of the year, I'm not sure that would bum me out all that much. Uh, But as I said, this does not end up being the story of the weekend. The fact that the Jays take two of three from Anaheim doesn't even become the story of the weekend. It is what happens after that extra inning loss to the Anaheim Angels that becomes the story. And that is a trade of two of your double-A arms to the St. Louis Cardinals for flamethrowing reliever Jordan Hicks. I was pretty pumped about this. Um, and I think a lot of people were. This was a guy I would have targeted, and it's because we've done the same thing 
in the bullpen when it's come to deadline acquisitions a few times over the last couple of years. If you go back as far as 2021, you know, the bullpen is sort of costing them. It's not going that well. And they go out and they get Adam Simber. And he was really good for them for, for a long time. Frankly, right up until this year. And it remains to be seen how much of that was injury and how much of that was performance. But, you know, he performed pretty well. But he had that funky delivery. And it wasn't, you know, this was not a guy just pumping it in there at 101 miles an hour. It was sort of a guy pitching to contact. And he was good. But it wasn't the guy I was necessarily looking for. And the guy I was looking for, frankly, can be hard to find. I'm not saying that it was just an easy go grab this guy. But in 2022, we sort of see it again. They go out and they get Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. And Anthony Bass down the stretch for them last year was pretty good. And this year, of course, we find out he's a total douchebag and he wasn't pitching well anyway. But in terms of performance last year, Anthony Bass was pretty good after you picked him up. But again, not a flamethrower, not a guy who just reaches back and blows it by somebody. And when you start to think about if this team is going to be a playoff contender with a playoff bullpen instead of a regular season bullpen, you got to think about the situations you're going to find yourself in, right? Like uh, the base is loaded. You got to go to somebody and it's Bass or it's Simber and Bass and Simber of previous years. I'm not saying of this year, but that type of guy who pitches to contact and, you know, gets you a ground ball out or a fly ball out. And those things are fine. They work a lot of the time. But there are moments in a playoff game where you don't want to risk it. You don't want the ball in play. You want just some guy who's going to come in and throw 104 just gas right by somebody and hopefully strike someone out and they just cannot keep up with it. That is Jordan Hicks. That's who the Jays have picked up this weekend. And I think it's a really nice fit. I don't know how worried we should be about Jordan Romano. That was another development over the course of the weekend. He clearly had an issue with his back tightening up. We saw that at the All-Star game, right? Remember, they gave him a couple uh, games coming out of the All-Star break to try and rest that. And I don't know if he re-aggravated it or if it was still an issue, but he's gone on the IL now. And so you need someone at the back end of that rotation to kind of fill the gap for now as a closer and then when Romano is back and healthy, you start to look at the bullpen you have with Swanson, who throws fucking hard and you don't mind pitching him against lefties, right? You have Jordan Romano back in there, who presumably will still be your closer, and maybe Hicks becomes your eighth inning guy. Um, you have Garcia, who frankly has been better lately. You have Nate Pearson, who throws the fuck out of the ball as long as you you trust him. Um this is a much better looking bullpen with the addition of Jordan Hicks than it was beforehand. And I really like the move. The, the return, the Kloffenstein kid especially, I think you're selling a little high and that's probably good, right? Jordan Hicks appears to be a straight rental. Maybe they can talk him into sticking around uh, and re-signing, but they only have him under contract through the rest of this season. St. Louis and their fans seem pretty comfortable with the return. Blue Jays fans seem pretty comfortable with what they've given up and what they've gotten. So it's an okay trade. I don't think anybody got fleeced. I don't think anybody on either side overpaid or dramatically, you know, anything like that. I think this is a totally reasonable deal and it got the Blue Jays what they needed. 
not just a capable arm who can come in and get out, but a guy who can come in in a tough situation and strike someone out right then, right there, put out the fire. And I'm getting my analogies all mixed up here, right? I'm saying a guy comes in and throws gas to put out the fire. That's not usually how gas and fire mix together. But you people, you understand what I mean. Um, So it's a nice trade. I don't think the Jays are done. They did have to DFA Mitch White to make room on the 40-man roster. I don't think that's going to disappoint a lot of people. I think favor had sort of run out on Mitch White. Look, there were some signs there that said this guy with a little work could be turned into something. They tried. It didn't work. Maybe with a little more time, they could have gotten it done, but they need something now, right? They needed this guy now, and they didn't want to wait around, and so Mitch White is the casualty that gets removed from your 40-man. Like I said, I don't think it's a huge deal, but our buddy Andrew Stoughton did say on the podcast uh, last week when he visited with us that you'd hate to see Mitch White lost for no reason, right? It's an asset that maybe still had a little value And uh, at the end of the day, though, to get this Jordan Hicks deal done, he is the casualty that will go. So uh, not heartbreaking, but not ideal either. Uh, But, you know, Mitch White maybe could have helped you in a few years or next year. Jordan Hicks can and will help you tomorrow and throughout the rest of the season. So sometimes those are just the choices you make when you're trying to contend. It's maybe and later versus definitely and right now. And I think that's totally fair for the Blue Jays front office to be operating that way in a season like this one. I will start to wrap this one up here. Like I said, look for a show with Steve Bunda on Tuesday morning. We'll talk some fights with him. We'll talk some CFL with him. And we'll talk about anything else that might be in the news at that point. Uh, we got some guests coming up. We've got Rob making his way back into the studio. Uh, all kinds of great stuff coming up on the podcast. I hope you'll stick around for that on Google Podcasts, Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you are. Make sure you hit subscribe, hit follow, and stick around. Give us a follow on all your favorite social media feeds and even the ones you hate as well. There's just as many of those. We are at and Audio there. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday morning with Steve Bunda. Have a great week, everybody. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.